Not everything metal was created equal. What an ugly thing to say. The Metal Sucks Podcast. Shiggity Chuck and Godless attempt to bring order to chaos or just make stupid jokes about dumb people. Stupid. A person below normal intelligence. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast. Greetings and salutations, my fine yes. metal friends. Welcome to another edition of the Metal Sucks Podcast. I am Chickity Chuck. And I am Godless. And we and host we uh, the Metal Sucks Podcast that uh, is put up every single Monday. We examine all the things that happen in uh, metal, whether we pull things from the, the headlines or we pull things from the headlines. That's kind of what we do. <laughs> uh, the, sometimes there's deeper things that are happening underneath headlines and stuff like that. We like to extrapolate those things from it and also interview some kick-ass people, too. So this episode, we have got none other than the guitarist for Anthrax by the name of Scott Ian. This is a good one. He's a good dude, man. He's a really nice guy, and I am totally gay for Anthrax. So <laughs> uh, it's, <laughs> Scott, how are you doing? Oh, it's great. It's Kind of like your interview with uh, Mark Asakanda. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, pretty much the same thing. What yeah. songs are we playing today? Uh, we are, I don't know, we're going to play something from Anthrax. I, I can't have it decided yet. No, okay. I think we're going to do something from Junius as well. Yes, good, uh, because good dude, stuff. It's going to be in one of them. I think it's going to be in my top ten, man. I really do. It's an interesting thing, the way that bands are now starting to do the EPs instead of the Hello, full albums. Hello, have I not been saying that for the past... Five yeah. years, and that, I've been saying, the "Why even bother with that? Just put a song out, yeah. one song at a time." I, th- I think three or four song EPs is the way to go, and like, that's what this like, is, hands down. Three songs, and in case you accidentally bought a track individually off of iTunes, <laughs> and you bought one of the, <laughs> yeah, don't buy the forty-second track. I'll tell yeah, you that right yeah. now. That's a bad idea, <laughs> a terrible idea. Hey, but, uh, make sure you follow us on uh, on Twitter and stuff. I am at Bearded Ape, and you are at Godless Speaks, and subscribe to us on iTunes because you can get it. To your uh, mobile mobile device and all that stuff directly if you are subscribed to iTunes uh, every week when we post a brand new show and of course on metalsucks.net every Monday when we post it absolutely we uh, need some new comments on the on our iTunes page too by the way oh well bring it you know and keep keep the reviews coming tell us how bad we suck and then click on five stars done done you know that's, yep. uh, that's use totally lots of keywords when you insult us <laughs> yeah make sure you uh seo uh you're you're totally ready to rock with that all right everybody's familiar with that now everybody tweets hashtag hashtag metal sucks there you go done. man there was just so many stories this week all right so we got the dave mustaine and well, sound yeah, we, we had seventy thousand tons our show last week right? and we didn't really get to talk about much uh topic wise we talked about our experience and all that stuff so we didn't talk about many headlines but yeah this week has been and last week uh-huh. was just nuts for different metal stories, man. And Christian metal now, 80% less Christian. <laughs> as far as for today is concerned, we like gay people now. What? That's not fair. If we were a God politician, we would. God doesn't like gay people, so you can't like gay people, right? That's, I thought he was quite clear about that. I mean, I think he was pretty clear for the most part. A little unclear about the camels in the Old Testament. <laughs> but, uh, you know, other things, yes, definitely clear. Totally clear. Well, and if you're in the faceless, uh, you're not in the faceless. Uh, uh-huh. If you're in, <laughs> if you're in Slayer, you're not really in Slayer. And if you're stage diving at a Fishbone show, you're you've dead. just made some. Wait, no, you just made some money. You made a lot of money. <laughs> well, actually, you, you didn't make shit because Fishbone doesn't have any money, and they're going to declare bankruptcy, and that's all uh, for so, that. Uh, well, that's the. Pro- I was thinking about that. I was like, the problem is, is that oh man, if they sued him directly, like it's him. Uh, his wages—he's gonna be garnished forever, man. Yeah, it's like worse than like having a bunch of like uh, 
like kids on the road. You he's going to start smelling. They're selling meth. Or he's going to start cooking <laughs> meth up just payments. so he can support. Uh, so he can support his uh, lawsuit. Well, the good thing is, if you're a Fishbone fan, they're going to be on the road and putting out a lot of albums. That's true. Keep uh, keep touring. <laughs> hey, buy our T-shirts, man! Please, <laughs> please. And I used to love early Fishbone, but like last time I saw him was like around nah. 2000, 2001 or something, yeah. and it was just it, it was yeah. I, it just turned into a. a it was a. It's a. It's a former. Uh, it's a. It's a ghost in comparison to what they used to be. Yeah. It's, it's there's just not much there. Sunless Saturday. Uh, That's when they were great. But uh, I was thinking that, that that of course Valentine's Day was on Friday, and all these people are celebrating love and celebrating their relationships with each other. And then we look at the new metal news, and everybody is just pissed at each other and apparently not being able to keep a relationship running more than a few years. In, in the case of the Faceless, so we've got people just deserting their bands left and right and people all this hate that's happening man <laughs> dave lombardo hating on tom Araya and dave mustaine hating on Soundwave and but loving on newstead and <sighs> but is he i mean newstead never did put out that statement other than i'm opening for testament right it's because i don't think there was anything there nothing to say i don't think i don't think newstead had anything i don't think there was an animosity between mustaine and newstead i don't think that ever yeah. happened because i mean the two dudes who got kicked out of the best band in the world or the the biggest metal band of the world you know what do they got to fight about they got everything right. they're like oh yes yeah, fuck james headfield man. yeah they should be doing their own chicken yeah. foot that's what yeah, they should yeah, be doing exactly so i mean th- those guys can uh, bitch all day long about how how terrible lars is so they've got something in common so i don't think there was a thing between them do you think though maybe dave was like hey i'd like to stay friends with newstead but i don't want to be the one who tells him that I don't want his band to open. So, hey, management, why don't you just not put his band on the list? That's probably true. But, I, I you know, we don't know that for we sure. We don't know! But the way it looks is that I tried to, I've tried to follow it just to figure out, you know, what the trail is. Okay, yeah. let's, let's see. You know how they do that thing when they're, when, when the cops are trying to solve a murder? I watched right. First 48, right? They put it up <laughs> on the board. They get a little circle, and then they get the lines that attach to the things. Okay, we found the panties over here in the park. Okay, we found <laughs> the weapon over here in the in the garbage, and they connect all the dots together. This is what I tried to forensically put together what the hell happened at the Soundwave thing, just from the media reports that I see. Who So who knows what's yeah. actually... You know, these are the quotes that I found on Facebook, the, you know, the things like that, like all that stuff. And it looks like, you know, management gave Soundwave a list that had bands on it that weren't supposed to be there. Soundwave did what management management told them to do, but they signed, they put people on the bill that weren't supposed to be on the bill. So they had to remove, said remove band from bill per management. Yeah. Then Mustaine removes management because they shouldn't have removed bands from bill and maybe should not have been or on the list in the first place at least not publicly said mm, yeah yeah that's what it looks like but there's nothing there that that's part that's part in the dark you know that's yeah. the part you don't see and then and then demands apology for what his management did from the wrong person and lee's tour because <sighs> this person has too much pride not to say he's sorry for something that he didn't do yeah oh <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Let me. Just, I don't fucking care. I, yeah. I just don't fucking care. I really don't. It's like, oh, what does it? You know, what does it matter? Do you think that the the Megadeth brand is like? I mean, it seems to be taking so many chinks. You know what? I don't think so, though. I I, I think people expect you know expect. I know they expect rotten behavior from Mustaine, and and I just don't get it. I don't I don't understand why he. F- 
and I, and I think people also read into it more than you know more than there is. You know, I I don't know. I don't know. I, I just wonder whether I tell. I it's getting to the point where Megadeth are just I mean, this is partly to do with the last album, but whether they're just not going to be able to draw anything close to the way they've used to. Maybe, maybe. But uh, but I don't know. The uh, I think they're old hardcore fans, you know, I mean, they could do another Rust in Peace tour and and be fine. Yeah. You know, so it's not going to take much. It's not going to take much and they're still selling t-shirts. You know, they're they're Rattlehead fans just as much as there are Eddie fans out there. You know nah, what I'm saying? So there wasn't at the Iron Maiden show. There was no hardly well, any Megadeth t-shirt yeah, there. Yeah, but, but that's it's a, a different that's thing. an Iron Maiden show yeah, fe- totally. featuring Megadeth. Yeah. So I mean that's that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But I mean if I was at Stubbs for their for their uh for their uh, Rust in Peace tour and yeah, it was gangbusters. I spent 35 bucks on a piece of shit Rattlehead shirt too. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's one of those things. I was never a big fan compared to Maiden or you know to to other bands that I was into, but yeah, I still bought a shirt cuz it's Oh, it's a lot, dude! Look at this. It's thirty fifth anniversary, twenty fifth anniversary tour, man. You got to get that, man. That's cool. So oh. they're not going to have trouble selling stuff ever. The person who's going to have trouble making money is Dave Lombardo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. After that interview, we got to get him That's on this show. Right. We, we got to get him totally on this show, do. especially if- after reading where because that interview that he did, I forgot what website it was for. Um, uh, you know, if you're if you're like part of like Dave Lombardo's coupon clipping group, you know, why don't you just you know let him know that he probably uh, it'd be great to talk to us. I think that that'd be the way to go. Uh, yeah, it, he was on like a Mosh something. Uh, Planet Mosh, I Planet think what it was. Mosh. Okay, yeah, and it wasn't a, a yeah, it was it was a, it was an email interview, so it wasn't like an oof. audio interview. And sometimes, and I've done those, or I've done those for people, and I've done them with people, and that. Sometimes it's kind of hard to get the the texture of what you're saying, or the question that you're asking, or the question that they're answering. Sometimes they you know they get a little confused. There was not much confusion with what he had to say. <laughs> He's got a lot to say about what the hell happened with Slayer, and apparently he hasn't had an outlet to put it on. You know, right? Then, dude, you, you know, you know, the, if you put it in print, it's in print. It's going to live forever. And I don't understand why he would buy. He would put something down. I don't think that he feels like there's any bridge left to burn. Think that's the case? Yeah, I, I, I think that you know, I think he's sort of at this point where like it's just never going to happen again. I mean, it's all it's already been over three times now, so it's sort of yeah, like that's true. Like, you know, you know, even if they do call, I'm not really all that interested in it. Uh, and if I if they do call at this point, they're so desperate that they're going to take they're going to you know accept whatever terms I give. But when you hear statements that say if it were not for me, Slayer would not exist. When that is in print, and and you know what, there is a certain truth to it. I'm not denying that. That's a, that's actually not you know the, the a false statement. The, the, the but fact that's is a real. But that's a real butthurt reactionary statement. Is what that is. You know what I'm saying? It is, it's like. But I, I mean, like, all right. So once again, everybody, go read the thirty-three and a third, uh, <laughs> or sixty-six and two-third, whatever it is, the DX Ferris book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's so great insight. But, but like, you know, the the, the early days, there were not. I mean, we're talking about the mid '80s. There are very, 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 very few drummers who can play like Dave Lombardo. True. In fact, there might not be anybody at that point. At, no, in 2014, yeah, you can argue that for sure. Yeah, in 2014, it's easy to to forget that. That, you know, talented drummers were tough to come by 30 years ago. You know, 2014, there are a billion and one guys on YouTube doing their drum covers. Well, because and all of people them have been practicing like Dave Lombardo exactly. for 
35 years, yeah, 30, 30 years. years. Yeah. Mm. So, but back in the mid eighties, he was the only dude. And you know what? Another drummer who would be just a more traditional rock drummer. Cause that's all there was at that point. Yeah. We would, would have totally changed the sound of raining blood. And, and and the album Rain and Blood and everything else that they had done. And so, I mean, you listen to the first uh, 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 Slayer recordings. It's not Dave Lombardo doing the you know awesome double bass drum. It's a it's a rock punk drummer yeah. who is still learning his his chops. So um, that's what you would you would have had more of that, and that would not have been the Slayer that we know now. Whether Dave Lombardo was there when somebody said, "Let's put together a band and it's going to be this," I don't know. I, it's really hard yeah. to say. But probably from Dave's perspective, hey, look, you know, I, I was right there at the beginning, and when he was when he got there, he wasn't the beginning. He was at the beginning of Dave Lombardo and Slayer. Yeah. Well, but then you see. Then you see this other like murder for hire kind of stuff that you see with the faceless um, that that happened this week, losing uh, another guitarist, number like ninety five from the band, and the only original member really is uh, is Michael Keane. Is it essential? I mean, is it really essential? To, you know, did Dave Lombardo write songs for Slayer? No. So why is he a quote unquote essential member of the band? Other than creating that particular drum sound that mm-hmm. he did, it's a signature right. drum sound. You know, but really, in essence, he didn't write any of the material. So why is he an equal part of the band well, compared to everybody else? You know, it's the same sort of level that we're talking about with bands like the Faceless and everybody else that have split up or used members like they're just hired guns at this point. And you know, when he left in '92, yeah, you're kind of out. I, I can, you know, the, yeah, the whole I need to be equal partner thing. It, it, this is one of those like classic old questions, like what is songwriting? What is, uh, uh, uh what is publish <laughs> publishing money worthy? Uh, you know, when you put in a band, some bands are like, hey, look, we're twenty five percent for yeah, the four of us, no matter what. Yeah, it's the publishing credit for the band because we all get in the same room and we jam it exactly, out. Exactly. But but it never sounds like that was the case with Slayer. We always sounded like they'd finish up a tour, Kerry go to his house and he'd be well, jamming riffs, and 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 uh, Jeff would be at his house jamming riffs, and sometimes Tom would have lyrics and stuff like that. Well, the, but, t- the tell on that has always been the parenthetical under the uh, under the song title in the in the album yeah. sleeve. Who is the writer of the song? Right, Hanneman King. Or Hanneman Araya, or 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 King Araya, or mm-hmm. whatever. It's it's always got the the name underneath it. You used to see it in Metallica, like the early Metallica yep. songs were Metallica, right? Metallica, Metallica, Metallica. Then it became Ulrich Hammett. Then it became you know what I mean. They they split it up later on. Yeah, because Lars is like, damn it, I'm working my ass off in between tours and recordings here, and you know I should be making you know getting paid for it. Or you're like you know Michael Keane, and you just own everything just on everything it's, it's me but like yeah with with lombardo it's you know i could totally see from his perspective he's like hey look the song wouldn't be that song without yeah. my contribution because totally, i was the only totally, one who totally. could do it yeah. and and whether that means songwriting or not that's argue i would personally argue you know what you're a session guy i hired you over a whole bunch of other drummers because you've got a particular style or you a particular way of doing it that's perfect for the song that i wrote yeah. 
And that's why I'm paying you more than I'm paying anybody else to come in the studio and record it and go on the road and play with me and all that sort of thing. But that's a, I mean, it's it's potato or potato for in many ways. It's just you know. Well, you live and die by the contract. You live yeah. and die, you live and die by the contract you sign. I mean, that's that's it. You either you either get paid three thousand dollars for your session work this week, mm-hmm. or you make nothing, or you get. A percentage of whatever that is. And I think it was like the second or third time that, that Dave came back to the band. It was like, okay, this is how much we're paying you when we're on the road. This is how much we'll pay you when you're sitting home doing nothing. And then this is how much we'll pay you when we're in the studio. Yeah. And that's it. If you're not working or on break between working, then you're just not getting paid. Whereas everybody else, Kerry King, Jeff Hanneman, Tom Mariah, they go home, they go to bed and they're still making money because there's somebody somewhere buying their album, buying yeah. in, and they're yeah. making money on that. They're, yeah, they're hitting on iTunes or something like that. Yeah, we're and, watching them on YouTube because we saw those royalty checks that came out this week too. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's fun stuff. I love why I love reading those. And, but seeing Trivium's check for one cent to give you perspective, Darkest Hours. Dave Lombardo is making less money than the dude on uh, in uh, Darkest Hour. Oh. Am I wrong? Well, you're probably right. You're probably he's probably right. Yeah, because he has if he's got no publishing, he gets nothing off of the 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 time you play it on Uh, Spotify. Unless he has, unless he has like some kind of right somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Like there, it depends on what the contract says. Oh, in the end, and And I'm sure he he looked at he examined that with a fine tooth comb. And there's nothing there. Yeah. It, and you know, and then you add to it that you know, yeah, unfortunately, he had to break up with his wife for a long time. Yeah. He's got a lot of financial obligations as a result of that. What's funny kid, is, but, is it, oh, it, it, this kind of relates to the interview that we're about to get into with Scotty, and because of course, you know, <laughs> they, they are no. First no, of all, he has things to say about Dave. Yeah, and no stranger to uh, controversy are Anthrax. Uh, I would say because uh, considering Dave. You know, they went through a time when I did not, I wasn't into Anthrax. Why? Because I'm a Belladonna fan. I'm yeah. like, he, Anthrax is not Anthrax without not Joey Belladonna. I'm a Metal Belladonna. Church fan. I'm not a John Bush fan. Yeah. And it's, um, and honestly, it, they, we talked a little bit about that. We didn't talk much about their breakup, but we talked about them getting back together. We talked about uh, the new record. We also talked about Speaking Words, the new tour, the spoken word tour that uh, Scott Ian is getting into. So we're going to talk about that. We also find out where his kid was conceived. Uh, metal <laughs> metal sucks exclusive. We find out where uh, where Scotty got laid. Yes, <laughs> Cha-ching. and also his participation in the Fear Festival that happened. Uh, I think last week, Kirk Hammett's version of the uh, horror con slash Tickets movie on sale festival. Uh, is it really already for next year? Yeah. Oh Jesus, for uh, Housecore, yeah. There it is. Well, that's Housecore. Yeah. But this, this is the Fear Fest evil. Right. It's a whole other thing, bro. Come on, man. <laughs> so let's get into that right now. Our interview with Scotty Ian from Anthrax on the Metal Sucks podcast. Hey, what's going on, man? It's uh, Chuck and Godless from the Metal Sucks Podcast, man. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good, dude. How you doing? Good, good. Can you hear me okay? Uh, yeah, that's pretty good. Are you on speaker? I'm going to turn the speaker up in one second. I just need to make this one box because I need two hands and then I... <laughs> <laughs> make, make a box. Are, are you shipping something or... I'm, uh... We're moving. Oh. So I'm... I'm, uh... Sorry, hold on. We're moving, so I'm I'm in the midst of packing because I leave for this tour in about a week, and uh, I got to get all my shit done before I leave. <laughs> yeah, just moving new house, same same place, or 
Yeah, two miles from where I live now. Yeah. Oh, what a pain in the ass. For only two miles? Well, not really. We're super happy about it. It's just the timing. I'm not going to bore you with all that. Our closing <laughs> ended up happening like four weeks later than it was supposed to, and uh, and that fucked everything. We had already been moved in and done, but now I'm like in the middle of this and then having to leave for a tour, so it's... It's just a little bit hectic. Don't you have a staff that looks a little bit like the cast of Downton Abbey that would take care of all this for you? You know, sadly, we decided <laughs> to play this type of metal. <laughs> so, you know, the, 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 perks of, the perks of hard rock and the, the perks of <laughs> hair metal and the, the perks of, um, let's say, more commercially accessible types of metal have escaped me for the last 33 years. <laughs> I do get some perks, like, you know, you grow a beer like this and people will let you into their restaurant when they don't have tables because you have a fancy beard. So I guess I do get some perks. I've got a fancy beard and I never get let into <laughs> restaurants. <laughs> you also don't have a 30-odd career of awesomeness. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> that does a, have some sort of effect, man. Saw on your Facebook page, dude, that makeup that you did for Fear Festival was awesome. Oh, thank you. Well, I didn't do it. I well, just sat there. Joel Harlow did all the work. <laughs> dude, So uh, as soon as I saw that you were doing it, I was like, what the hell are they going to do with the beard? Yeah, he. Um, I'm going to post, uh, I'm going to do like a, a proper blog post about it. He just sent me all the photos uh, from it last night. So you'll, I actually will post a photo where you could see what he did with the beard, uh, how they were able to glue it up. I look like, uh, you know, those... Uh, Sikhs, like S-I-K-H. Oh, yeah, yeah. Have you ever had a Sikh taxi driver and the way they, they kind of pull their beard up or yeah. almost around their ears? That's kind of what it looked like, but mine was literally glued to my jawline. <laughs> Sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, Joel Harlow is the other, only other human on this planet other than my wife that's, that actually is allowed to touch my beard. So, <laughs> <laughs> so did you walk around uh, like without people knowing that you are you? Well, most of the people knew because people were there watching me get it done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly, um, I did this panel a couple hours later with Kirk and Greg Nicotero, um, upstairs, like in this, the main kind of, um, crazy Masonic room that Kirk had set up with all his collection and stuff. And, uh, there was a lot of people up there that may, maybe got there later. And, um, uh, hadn't seen me getting made up, so they were probably like, "Who the fuck is that dude in the top hat and uh, and cane with the with the giant potato face?" I'm sure you're walking around there as as yourself. People are like, "Oh, to snap pictures," and then getting pictures for a whole different reason yeah. <laughs> with the makeup. <laughs> yep, it was uh, it was really cool. Um, I, I I really love doing it. You know, I uh, it I could see. You know, certainly look if I had to do that every day for two months. Uh, on a movie set and be in the makeup chair at four in the morning or something, I could see, you know, why you may get a little testy. Although that being said, if I was getting paid the money that some of these movie actors get paid to sit in the chair at four o'clock in the morning for six hours, I'd be the fucking happiest guy on earth. So I, I don't think I would ever bitch about it. I really love doing it. It's not something obviously I get to do all the time. So when I get to get literally an Oscar winning makeup effects, you know, artist, to do that to me, uh, I'm going to leave it on as long as I can. I mean, I had it on for hours and hours. I walked around in the streets of San Francisco, like people were looking at me like, what the fuck? And I had that long coat on and the hat and the cane. I mean, and it was raining out. It, it looked perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Jack the Ripper walking around. That's pretty awesome. And well, that's, I said, I, I said at some point that, uh, 
uh, you know, I had a microphone and we were, you know, we were talking to the crowd, you know, keeping the crowd engaged or as engaged as you possibly can when they're sitting there watching a three hour makeup being applied. Um, But a lot of people stood and watched like the whole thing. A lot of people would come in and out. But there was a lot, there was like a, a, at least 20, 30 people that were kind of there the whole time watching this. And uh, so at some point I, I told them how uh, the city of San Francisco was able to arrange a deal with Kirk and Festival where I would get to go have my day like Bat Kid, um, <laughs> where I get to get made up as the Ripper and then I get to go out and kill a whore in the streets of San Francisco and, uh, and really get to experience the full, you know, the full Ripper experience all you gotta do is get cancer their dream will come true right <laughs> that's the thing I, I was able to do it without that the beard enables me to do things like that one of the things we were talking about before we uh give you a call is that you how old is your child you have a young child now right uh he's He's like two, to be exact, he's almost like two years and eight months. Yeah. See, that's awesome, because like when my kid was two, I wanted to have a booking agent. I could call and say, get me the hell out of the house for a, a few weeks. <laughs> See, and I'm the opposite. Uh, I, uh, for, I mean, even, even before we, hit, we had our son, um, it's not like I was looking for reasons anymore to leave the house. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still love playing shows. That's still my favorite thing about being in the band is getting to play live because that's the actual time on stage for me is like Christmas morning and, you know, birthday all wrapped up into one every time because it's, it's still so amazing to me that I, I get to do that. It's everything else. I, I don't know if it was Alice Cooper or somebody famous said years ago, they don't pay me to play, they pay me to travel. And I never really understood that. Yeah, I hate to sound like a fucking old guy, but like until I got into my 40s, and man, it changed. And it's not just because I got old. The world has changed, and traveling is just shitty. It's not like it was in the 80s or the 90s. Like I used to love going to the airport. The airport was like, it was exciting. It was this fucking you know jump-off point to start an adventure. Now it's the worst place on earth and you just can't wait to get the fuck in or out and it's horrible and it sucks and everyone in there is coughing in disgusting pieces of shit of humanity <laughs> and I hate it. I hope I, you know, I hope that's not too much information. But, I, you know, I'm not looking for reasons to leave the house anymore. Certainly now, you know, with a child, which also, you know, Charlie and Frankie have had kids long before I did and uh, I saw how it affected them, how it had profoundly affected their lives. And, um, but you can't understand it until you have one. And then you, you have to leave. You have to leave this human, this new human that, you know, you love with everything you have and they love you back. And you have to go away from them and that, it fucking sucks. So, um, yeah, like I said, I'm not looking for ways to leave the house. It's just this, this talking show thing is something that I started doing and I've had a, a shit ton of fun doing it. And that's the only reason why I would go out and do more shows is because it's actually really fun for me to stand on stage and, and, and talk a bunch of crap for two hours. Well, that in a new house, <laughs> this ain't paying for the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at my dates. I'm not fucking, I'm not playing fucking <laughs> Hammerstein ballroom and the Aragon in Chicago and the Gibson amphitheater in LA. Not yet. Uh, anyway, <laughs> not, not, yeah. not yet. Well, one can hope. So did you, like, when the other guys were having their kids, did you, like, think that you would never have this experience? Or, or was it something that you were just always, 
you know, holding out hope that eventually it would happen for you. I never had written it off because my wife and I, Pearl and I were together 11 years before she got pregnant. So we basically lived 11 years of no kids, no pets. That's awesome. It was, you know, and, you know, and we took full advantage of that for 11 years to, you know, shit like, because we didn't, it's not like we have a big house or, or had at the time. We didn't have a big house. We lived in a small house uh, here, here in L.A., and the, it was really cheap. And so we took advantage of all of that. And, you know, at the drop of the hat, you could just say, let's go travel. Let's go to Europe or let's go do this or let's go to Vegas. Or, and you never obviously think twice about it. And, you know, that all goes out. We don't even go to the movies anymore. I don't even, we don't watch TV. We don't do anything. If we're lucky, at 9 o'clock, we get to sit in bed and catch up on Game of Thrones on the laptop <laughs> on, on HBO Go. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a night out for us now. <laughs> but, like, to answer your question, we always talked about having children, and, um, but we didn't plan it. It's not like we said, let's have a kid. But at the same time, we just kind of stopped worrying about it you know, if that's clear enough. And uh, of course, the first time we stopped worrying about it, she got pregnant. That's exactly how it happens. Like every time. Being that this is the Metal Sucks podcast, um, I'll give you a little bit too much information because I think your audience will probably really appreciate this. But um, it actually happened on tour in the fall of 11 when it was Anthrax Megadeth Slayer after a night off in Louisville. (laughs) uh, And Megadeth, Megadeth threw a bowling party that night. And... Uh, we all went out and got pretty shitty and uh, and went home and made a drunk baby. So um, <laughs> that's awesome. Not home, but back to the hotel. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I think it, it, he comes from very metal beginnings. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. So have you started like kind of nurturing that music thing already? I mean, I know still being two and a half. How do you look at the fatherhood thing, man? I mean, what, like, what direction do you see it? I mean, is that should Joey Belladonna get nervous again? <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, he's, he's already playing drums and, uh, you know, obviously both my wife and I are, are musicians and, uh, and, uh, you know, her family, she comes from a a musical family as well. So, um, uh, you know, I don't know how you could say it's in his blood because I don't, I don't know if scientifically that actually makes any sense, but, um, but it feels like it is because he started drumming even before he was two, uh, his grandpa meat got him a, uh, a little mini Ludwig kit, and he like like I've had Charlie watch him, and Charlie's like, it's incredible that he already has a natural sense of rhythm. He's already holding his sticks the right way, and like nobody taught him how to do any of that. He just sits and he watches videos on YouTube, or he watches like the Big Four DVD, and he just watches and he and he copies, and like he could play the whole intro to Am I Evil now, and and it's kind of weird when you see this little dude sitting behind the kit like pounding away and. Um, it's super cool and he's into it. It's not something we pushed on him. Kids just like to bang on shit and you figure out maybe he'll bang on it for a while and then he'll stop. But he loves his drums. Like he goes to do it without you having to say, Hey, why don't you play your drums? Like, and that's kind of the dad I'm going to be. I'm never going to push anything on him because I just know how I was as a kid. Certainly if anyone tried to tell me what was cool, you're just going to do the opposite. You're not going to want to do what your parents want, no matter who your parents are. You know, Zach Wilde told me a story about how his, his son is like at UCLA going to college. And, uh, 
uh, and he's like over at the dorm and there's going to be like a party or something. And he's like, and you think like I'd be the cool dad. He goes, nope. He goes, <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't fucking matter who you are or, you know, your kids want nothing to do with you when they get to a certain age. And I totally get that. So I'm never going to push anything on him. I would hate to like push Iron Maiden on him for the next 10 years and then have him, you know, grow up listening to fucking, I don't even know what, you know, bad pop music yeah, or, right. or shitty electronic music or, you know, whatever, stuff I don't like. I'm just going to leave it alone. He walks around the house of his own volition singing Iron Man and TNT, so I, I think he's on the right <laughs> path. Maybe he needs to do the spoken word tour. <laughs> Eventually, right? probably do five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to be your opener soon enough. Yeah, when my kid was two, I made a mixtape, and it was like gangster rap and Barry Manilow and then Neil Diamond and then you know it was just a total mix so that way he'd have no idea what to rebel against me with yeah exactly I mean you know my son is it loves the Beatles too like sings Beatles songs all day so I mean look he, he's surrounded by good music whether yeah. it's whether it's metal rock good pop music um you know blues country um between my wife and I you know he's Certainly getting a, a, a very rich musical education at a, at a really young age. So you know, by the time he's six or seven, he's like, probably the same thing. He's going to have all kinds of shit, you know, to choose from of, you know, what floats his boat. It seems like, you know, we talk to so many people and, and you know, usually when they're having kids at a younger age, it seems like they're, they're second guessing their career, they're second guessing their religion, they're second guessing all sorts of things when a kid comes along. Did, did that have an impact on that, you know, similar kind of impact on you? What do you mean? Well, like, in that you start going, oh my goodness, this is what I always believed, but here's this miracle, and now I believe something different. You know, oh, now my parents oh, right. were right, that sort of thing. Um, to a point, yeah. I mean, you know, until you have a child, and I was always one of those people that, once again, there was no pets, no kids. And as my friends and band members and, you know, uh, over the years all started having children, um, I was super happy for them. But at the same time, uh, it's not my experience, even like my brother. Uh, my brother has a has an eight-year-old daughter and my niece. And, uh, you know, it was always a case of, wow, she's fucking awesome and it's great hanging out. But then we get to go home, <laughs> you know. And uh, so you really don't get it, uh, um, you know, until you have a child. And then, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, it really does all that shit, the miracle of the life coming into, you know. And I am not a religious person by any means, but um, just the... the you just, I, I didn't know that a level of love, you know, exists on uh, 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 on this planet or in my brain or whatever in this universe, you know, that, that I feel for my son. I, I've never experienced that in any way, shape or form before. So, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's fucking incredible. It's, you know, this, suddenly this head, this head pops out of your, your woman. I mean, it was literally in that moment. And you would take a bullet for that, that thing that you don't even know yet. You'd be willing to become its secret service agent and die, you know, for that, that human that's now in the world. So it's just crazy that this switch gets flipped. And that is if you are a fucking normal parent and not some asshole. But, um, yeah, the switch gets flipped and everything changes. Well, you know, my kid's head was completely deformed when it came out of my wife. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that at all. Did you have a deformed head kid when it came no, out? No, no. He had a, actually, it was the, you know, the doctor, the nurses, everyone even said he, uh, 
you know, wow, what a, you know, what a perfectly shaped cranium. He, he takes off after his dad in that aspect, I guess. So you do, you do have uh, quite the, quite the dome that, that, that I'm, you know. I'm one of the few white dudes that looks good with a shaved head. It's, there's yeah, not mo- many of us. Yeah, most of the time it's all bumpy and kind of gnarly. If I had an Oscar winner and got you makeup on me, I would want to look, I would get the hair that you had back on State of Euphoria. Oh well, yeah, a mullet. <laughs> it's not, you could go to any wig shop and get that. Let's <laughs> uh, talk about speaking words, man. Uh, I've watched some of the preview videos and watched some of the other stuff, man. Is this just a labor of love for you, man? Just being able to tell these stories and put all this stuff out there for people? I mean, it is. It's there's not there's really no other reason for me to do it at this point. Yeah, if it was a giant financial windfall, certainly that would be. Uh, a reason to go do this, but I'm starting from the bottom, dude. I, it's not like I'm jumping in and selling 2,000 tickets, and um, I really do enjoy doing it. And and the, the shows I, I did overseas, um, I, you know, I just want to do more. It it really is fun, and, and I do look at it as something that I can maybe build this into something more, kind of like what Henry Rollins has done, you know, with his his talking shows over the years. So, um, except with punchlines. Um, no, but I'm not telling jokes. Uh, I'm not, I'm, no, no. I mean, he, you know, as far as I know, I haven't seen him do one of these shows since the early '90s. But um, you know, mine's story based. I'm not up there. I don't write jokes by any means. Um, I'd like to think that this is something I could do for the rest of my life. I mean, I'm not going to be able to jump up and down and bang my head the way I do on stage for the rest of my life. But telling stories, I certainly can do, and and I do really get the same kind of a kicking the ass from, you know, at the end of a, a talking show that I do from a, a band show. But also, do you feel like it's a, it's kind of a matter of record where you can take what, you know, your 30 years of experience and, and map it out for people a, a little bit and tell some of these stories and get them on record? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, one of the, uh, one of the main catalysts for this, uh, uh, initially was a few years ago, this is even before, before we had our son, um, I just noticed I was starting to forget shit, like, and, you know, yeah, and it just yeah. comes with getting older, but, um, it just kind of like that instant recall that I've kind of always had in my brain my whole life was really slowing down to the point, like, you know, I was becoming that guy where I would just Google everything and not even, you know, I'll fuck it. I'll just look it up on my phone. And, uh, to the point where I was Googling shit about myself that I couldn't remember. <laughs> like, when did this happen? When did I do that? What, like... And that's just fucking lame. So uh, I actually made a conscious decision at, in the moment to say, I'm going to start writing this shit down. All my stories, I'm going to spend you know, some time every day, and I'm going to write stuff down. And uh, over a course of a few months, um, I just wrote down years and years and years worth of stuff. And I was having a lot of fun doing that, just writing the shit out and reading the stuff. And just, just it was making me laugh. And that's kind of what was the initial spark to think this was something I could do as well as, of course, write a book, which comes out in October, plug. So um, it all started from that a few years ago when I just decided I need to start keeping a record of these things, otherwise I'm going to lose them. How in the world do you have any time to sit and write? I mean, you're like the busiest man in show business. Um, On tour. When, you know, touring it, like I talked earlier about traveling, um, touring is other than, you know, you're on stage for two hours, and maybe let's say you're sleeping for seven or eight hours, and then you've got another 14 hours of intense fucking boredom. Generally, 
um, where you just need to fill your time and find things to do. And I've always been uh, the type of person to try and find some kind of a creative outlet or at least, you know, anything but the, the fucking cliche of drugs and alcohol, which, you know, that's why for years and years through the 60s, 70s, 80s, and on and on, it's the insane boredom of, of traveling and touring. So people turn to booze and drugs to fill that space. I, I never did that. I, I'm always looking for, you know, obviously just something to keep my brain engaged. And um, so when I'm on tour, I've got tons and tons of time. I'm going to be sitting in a car for two weeks coming up with almost a six-hour drive almost every day. Uh, um, and I, I could pretty much tell you almost all the lyrics for this next record will be written in that two weeks sitting in a car. <laughs> this song's called Topeka. <laughs> yeah. This song's called. Uh, I don't even. I don't so so you, you're not reading any poker books? No, nah, dude. I've, uh, they shut down online. You know. But you got you got to get ready for the summer, now, right? I, I don't play anymore. You're not going to World Series this year. I, I'm in Europe every summer. I never. I don't oh. get to go to the World Series. I got to go. Luckily enough, the, the, that the World Series, my first ever one, and I, that I cashed in, because uh, we weren't in Europe that summer, and I still had to fly in and out in between. Uh, days playing to play a sh- Rocklahoma show, which was insane. So I didn't sleep for 36 hours and then had to sit down for day three of, of the main event and somehow <laughs> made it through. That's kick-ass. Because uh, I'm a fucking great poker player. But, uh, <laughs> don't tell anyone. But no, no, I just, when online went away, I, I don't, that's one thing I don't have time to do. I don't have time to go sit and play live poker. I definitely, that doesn't exist in my life for sure. So if online ever comes back, that filled a ton of space on tour. I, I was playing hours and hours a day on tour, like back in 07, 08, 09. And suddenly it'll be another 10 years before the next Anthrax record gets written. <laughs> like, damn it. If I was playing poker, yeah. yeah. <laughs> granted, that doesn't exist anymore. So, no, new Anthrax record will be written and recorded this year. I, I think I can safely say that. We're, we're excited because the last one was the best work you guys have done in, I don't know, like a decade and a half or, or more. I don't know when the last time. You, one of the best albums you guys have ever had. Well, thank you. Well, how do you how do you do <laughs> that? I mean, at a certain like. point, it do, doesn't you know you're supposed to like just sort of ride out into the sunset with the great work of your early career. You guys don't seem to be satisfied with that. No, I'm not going to name any names, but uh, you know, I just feel like we are kind of the um, not opposite, but we I think are in a, like an exception to the rule when it comes to bands who have had a career this long. And it comes to the idea of still making new music. It's still making new music that's relevant, let me just say, or that is actually good. Because when you get to this point, generally bands that have been around this long, I'm talking about bands that are either smaller than us, at the same size as us, bigger than us, and way bigger than us. And on that level, I could certainly name names. I mean, you know, have the Stones made a great record in a long time? No. Yeah. But they don't, do they need to make a new record? No. They could go out and play whenever, wherever, and they could do that until they decide not to do it anymore. And they're never going to have a problem selling tickets. But when it comes to the records, it's always kind of like you wish. You, you wish that you would just get it and be surprised. Like, oh, my God, like this is the best thing since Steel Wheels. Like, they did it. Somehow they broke the fucking rule, and, and they did it. ACDC kind of did it on Black Ice mm. for me. Ace, Black Ice was, the be, for me, the best thing since Flick of the Switch. And, uh, uh, um, you know, and I actually liked a bunch of songs on Black Ice. 
I think with us, and I'm the guy in the band, you know, so what am I going to say? I think, of course, we make great records, but I can only judge by the reaction to worship music after not having an album out, you know, for almost 10 years and then putting out that record and the way people connected to that record all over the planet and we went out and played 207 shows on the back of it. I, I know we made a great record. I know we did. I know the songwriting was fucking killer. And uh, uh, and because of the reaction and because of how much it put us back on the map in such a big way and basically just gives us the opportunity to just still be a band and enjoy what we do. So I'm um, going into this record. The vibe has just been killer. You know, Charlie and Frankie and I are just super excited to be in the room writing and uh, we don't have any of <laughs> there's no drama and we're just able to just hang out and jam and, and write. And it's the fastest we've ever worked writing-wise. I mean, we're, we're working on almost 14 things musically now, and I've got almost half a dozen things lyrically together. And um, we've never worked that fast before, ever. And I think we're just all really excited coming off what was one of the best runs we've ever had this how, late in our career. How is it that the three of you guys can get along so well? It seems like there'd be so many opportunities for envy, for jealousy, for all the stuff that would break up bands and we see breaking up, I don't know, I won't name any names other than Slayer. Uh, you know, you see what, what's sort of happening to those guys. They're, the frayed uh, relationships are just breaking completely. How have you guys been able to keep that together? Well, I mean, <laughs> we have our own storied history. Yes. Um, you know, and even certainly in the last few years, you know, uh, up until up until Joey rejoined in 2010, it, it, it was certainly a rocky road. I mean, from from we've come for you all to worship music. I don't know that a band has gone through harder. I mean, yeah, granted, look, nobody died. We didn't have that kind of a tragedy. But uh, um, as far as just trying to remain a band and keep things moving forward between 2003 and 2009, um, I, you know. I'd have to go on record as saying, I don't know that any band has had as much drama and, and, <laughs> and problems that we had. Um, and yet there was a focus, even hey, look, Frankie was out of the band, even, you know, back at some point in 2004 and he went and he joined helmet and toured the world with them. And, um, so I think though, it really was the material. It really was the songs that we started writing when Charlie and I got in a room at like the end of 06 or early 07 or whenever it was and, you know, said, look, are, are we done? Like, is this it? Do we, you know, are we finished? Uh, you know, people just, does anyone care? And the answer to that question was we didn't care if anybody cared because Charlie and I still cared enough about the band to say, fuck it. We've got another record in us. We've got great ideas we're going to do it even if even if nobody hears it. We're going to write this record, and then if that's it, then that's it. But we weren't ready to walk away, and we started writing the songs that would become worship music, and, you know, that's when we we said to Frankie, dude, you got to, you know, we need you back. Listen to this shit. We need you back in the band. You have to be a part of this. And and once that core came back together at, at that moment, at some point in 07, I could actually say it's, you know, the three, the three of us have been really, really solid and, you know, almost given a new life in, in, in a sense. I know it all sounds so stupid and cliche, but it really is the truth. I mean, when you've been together for so long, it, it, it makes it harder. It's not easier after all these years. You sp I've spent more time with these guys than anyone else in my life. So, 
you know, you know each other so well, and and, and that's good and that's bad. And uh, but all I can say is since since 2007, um, you know, the the core is as strong or stronger than it's than it's ever been. Well, then folding folding then, Joey back into the mix. Yeah, exactly. So Joey rejoins in 2010, and it was so instantly obvious to us. I mean, it was like, you know, it's one of those moments where you just, you know, you slap your forehead, and you're just like, Jesus, you know, the fucking answer is right there in front of you. Yet, you know, sometimes, whether it's ego, um, you know, uh, it, it is ego. It's ego. It's growing up. Um, uh, a lot of that, you know, a lot of that is just us growing up as fucking people and not acting like a bunch of 19 year olds anymore. Um, and being able to sit down with a dude that you've known your whole life, you know, that you came up with the reason you're even still doing this is because of that dude was the singer in your band and to be able to literally sit down over a cup of coffee, you know, in New York city at one o'clock in the afternoon and just say, dude, we want you, do you want to do this? Yes. And it was as simple as that. I mean, and it just makes you think, God, like, what, what the fuck was our problem? Like, what, you know, why didn't we give this a shot when we should have given it a shot? Or, you know, it makes you, makes you think and, and, and reiterate shit in your brain. But then I, I shut that, that, that stuff down right away because then for me it's a case of, all right, it's time to move forward now and work as hard as we can. And, and that's what we did. So he didn't spend years begging to get back in the band? No, it's never, it's never been anything like that. No you know, subtle, like, holiday cards, <laughs> you know? <laughs> jo- look, Joey is the most mellow, unassuming, like, kickback dude you'd ever meet in your life. It's, that's why it's still so amazing to me that, you know, this guy that you hang around with during the day who, you know, likes to drink coffee and, and watch football and hockey and, um, and just the most mellow, mellow dude turns into this fucking raving lunatic you know on stage it it really is quite the transformation and and that's we always call it that thing that lead singers have i think great front men have this thing that that makes them great i know i don't have any other way to explain it i know that this sounds like i'm retarded but every every great front man has something that enables them to engage all those people out there and it, joey's thing is he some flip switches inside him and he gets on stage and he becomes this maniac and this maniac who could, you know, still sing in a range that most people even 20 years younger than him can't. So he's got that thing, you know, he's got that, that spark, whatever the fuck it is. But when he gets on stage, man, you know, people, people fucking love him. They love him as the front man of this band. And, and so do we, you know, we wouldn't be on this phone call right now if he didn't come back to you know to the band in 2010 you think so no not true i mean you know you really don't think think so so. i think so well but but scott scott i can tell you right now i don't there was there was no plan b (laughs) well scott there was a musician that i worked with a studio musician in new york city he had this great thing he used to say he said there are two types of people in the music business singer and staff and you are like the exception to that rule. I mean, when people want to know about metal, they ask you. You are, you know, the dude. You've sort of like transcended just being the rhythm guitarist. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, you know, look, grow, growing up, some of the, the people that I was the biggest fan of in bands, whether it was uh, Gene Simmons was always my guy in Kiss. Uh, I was... I was a Gene fan. 
in Iron Maiden, Steve Harris was my favorite. I looked at Steve Harris was kind of like the front man of Iron Maiden, even though he wasn't the singer, but he was certainly the, the mouthpiece. He was the guy in the band. Uh, ACDC, Angus. He, even when Bond was in the band, Angus was kind of like the front man, you know? And uh, I think I, that's just where that came from. That's the, that's the guy I always gravitated to. In the Scorpions, Rudy Schenker was like the guy I, I focused on the most. So I just think it was kind of natural that that's what would happen with me. It would also, people just, look, you start a band, nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. You know, we started in 1981. I never knew in 1981 or 82 or even 83 that I was going to become that guy. I, you know, Neil Turbin was certainly the, you know, the front man of Anthrax in that early time period. And he was the singer and he, he's a very smart guy and a capable individual of, you know, doing interviews and, and being a spokesman for a band. And, uh, so, you know, I definitely took a backseat to that cause he was the, he was the front man. And, uh, but once Neil was out, I think it's just a role that I just kind of organically grew into because I just felt like I had a point of view and, uh, and, you know, and I had something to say. So how often does Neil send you holiday cards? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think he has my address. <laughs> I, I've bumped into him randomly over the years, uh, you know, here or there, and it's, it's always cordial. Hey, how are you? You know, that's, that's about it. <laughs> he says, hey, I saw you on TV, like, constantly last year, and you're like, yeah, good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> the only people that ever say they see me on TV is people who have no idea who I am. Ah. I, I don't know that anyone that actually knows who I am and, and or likes my band has ever seen me on TV. <laughs> I don't know. I think I watched all those I Love the 80s episodes. I know, but you know and... what I mean? Like, you guys, you guys have a job yeah. in, like, <laughs> in this business. Like, you, you know, the, there's a reason why you need to stay in touch. But it, I swear to you, man, whether it's in airports or at the supermarket or Target or wherever, it's the people who come up to me and have seen me on TV. They don't know my name. They don't even know what band I'm in. They're just like, I'm that dude with the beard and the bald head who they saw on VH1. They don't have a clue. So did you sort of like, you know, transcend the genre, quote unquote, and, and sort of become a, a pop culture icon through your own sort of determination? Or has that sort of just happened to you? I think it's, it's out of my own determination. Um, absolutely. I'm, I'm just a fucking tenacious prick dude you are I mean, a gene simmons fan i'm a huge gene simmons fan he's, <laughs> he in every in so many ways he is my absolute role model when it comes to this business um it, from <laughs> from stage presence to you know to business i mean everything across the board um you can't argue with the success of kiss you, you, whether or not you like their records or anything you can't argue with the fact that 40-odd years later, they're bigger than they even were in 1977. You just can't argue with any of that. And that's obviously not in the context of Anthrax what I consider to be the most important thing um, because, yeah, we certainly, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of putting my name out there or selling things. I mean, I've got a pledge music campaign for my DVD, which... Uh, uh, people don't seem to understand, but uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, he's an absolute role model. That's that's for sure because um, the man knows business. And if you're gonna be in this business and have a career as long as Anthrax has had, you can't 
you can't be fucking blind, deaf, and dumb. You can't be um, because you're just going to get ripped off. That's the bottom line, and I refuse to be one of those people. So what do you mean people don't understand your Pledge Music campaign? Well, I, I just think there's a bit of a... I think maybe there's people out there who think they're just like, giving me money, like, and I'm just, like, I've got, you know, uh, uh, Scrooge McDuck piles of money around my house, and <laughs> they're just, like, giving me money, and I'm just adding it to the pile, like, it, it, and that's not the case, like, it's not like people are just giving me money for nothing, I mean, if they just look at it, they say it's, it's an exchange of <laughs> goods and services, if you donate, if you pledge $10, you get a DVD for your $10. That's what happens. If you pledge whatever it is, $100, you get me saying your name. I'm going to shout out names in the credits on the DVD. If you pledge $10,000, I show up and I will hang out with you and your friends at your house or in the fucking bar that you hang out in, and I will give you your own private spoken word show, and I'll even buy the drinks. I mean, it's... It's not like I'm just taking money and then nothing happens. If anything, this Pledge Music campaign is a shit ton more work for me. Um, but I, I made the decision to go this route instead of the normal record company route. And here's, I think, what people need an explanation about. The way these things normally work is if I was going to do a DVD, I would go to a label, which in essence is the bank, and ask them for money to produce this DVD. And then you sign a contract. And the record company basically takes all the money until they're recouped, and then you get a small percentage, uh, you know, after the fact. And I decided I didn't want to go that route anymore. The music business has changed so much, we all know, in the last 15 years. And I would rather own my content, do it all myself, and, you know, and own this. And just, you know, basically, that's the smart way to do it. And by doing a pledge campaign, I offer goods and services for the money to fund this project. And I, I think that's what people really don't understand. I think some people think they're going to send in $10 and I'm going out and buying a six pack with it. Like, <laughs> that's, that's not how it works. Well, it also seems like the more of the pledge type campaigns and things like that, it's, if it doesn't say Kickstarter on it, they don't understand it. What do you do when you search for something online? You Google it. it it's, it's the, it's the verb now, the Kickstarter. So pledge music just being another version of that. Yeah, exactly. And I just don't think people understand it. I, look, I didn't understand it when I first saw it. It was actually, you know, it was actually uh, Anthrax's record label that pointed me in that direction. Because um, even with Anthrax, we, you know, we don't do things the same anymore. We co, you know, we, we just do distribution deals now, and we own uh, we own all our masters. And I mean, you'd be an idiot to just sign a, a regular record deal anymore these days. And. uh so it was actually the label that pointed me in that direction, sent me the link to pledge, and 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 I was like, well, what is this? And you know, I just checked it. I saw like Seven Dust on the thing, and I'm like, well, what is Seven Dust doing? And and I see they're going to make an acoustic record, and they're offering all these crazy experiences, like we'll come do an acoustic show in your living room, and you know, hang out with the band in the studio. I'm like, well, this is fucking cool. I mean, look. People don't buy records anymore. They don't buy DVDs anymore. Yeah. Like all anything that that bands or artists have to sell, uh, other than tickets these days, don't sell anymore. So, artists, bands, musicians, you have to find new ways to make money. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And this is a way to do it because you get to own your content, you own your artwork, uh, and uh, and you make a much bigger percentage of the pie instead of giving. 
75% of it to a label and then five dudes split 25% of it. It's just that math should have never worked, but that's how it worked since the 1920s or 30s when, you know, they started putting records out. Yeah, well, and, and like you said, you still own your content. Yeah, we own, we own everything. You know, I own it. I could do whatever I want with it forever. And, uh, you know, it's not like... Yeah, and people, people just don't understand this shit. Like all those records that we did for Island in the 80s, Among the Living, Spreading the Disease, State of Euphoria, Persistent Time, Attack of the Killer Bees. Island owns those masters. We're lucky, not in perpetuity. There's a big word for you, my friends. But, like, seriously, they own the masters for something like 25 years, yeah. which might as well be forever. You know, because after 25 years, you know, it's not like Sgt. Pepper's where you're still selling a million copies a year. But still, you know, that deal that we signed for those records back in the 80s, that's the deal. We don't get, get to go back in and renegotiate and say, hey, you know what, we want 50% now, or we want 80%. If you're U2, you get to do that. But, you know, we don't get to do that. Here's a fucking horror story. J.J. French told me this. Um, we bumped into each other a couple of months ago in a hotel somewhere and uh, just shooting the shit about something. And, and uh, he was talking about re-recording your masters, which means basically going back in the studio. And I'm sure the fans out there will have noticed this. A lot of bands over the years go back in and re-record their old songs. And the reason bands do that is because now they own that new version of it. And they can then use that to license to anything, whether it's movies or TV commercials or whatever. Because if, if let's say, a big TV commercial, let's say Toyota wants to license I Am The Law, uh, you know, off Among the Living, well, we basically see hardly any of that. The label would make all the money if Toyota forked over a hundred grand or something. You know, we would see a, a penny of that. It, you know, it's just insane. Have you ever so thought you, about, like, uh, you know, having a bill from the studio and then re-releasing the old recording and claiming it's a new recording, and when they go, that sounds just like the old one, you're like, yeah, of course it is. It's the same dudes. And here's our <laughs> bill to show that we tried to, that we did re-record it. Exactly. For someone like us, we might be able to get away with that because it would probably, you know, we're still enough under the radar. But, you know, it would be interesting to see, like, a really big band try and pull something like that off. And then the, the court case where they would bring in, like, audiologists and stuff to analyze it and <laughs> see if it really was the same or not. Or, But, you know, it, it's just you have to find these days, I mean, you, as a band to survive, um, you really have to find new ways to make money. And re-recording masters is one of the ways to do it because – then you then own that content and it's and it's you know a way for you to make all the money instead of the label making all the money i was gonna say i think you really only have about five years left on that contract so uh, you, you just wait them out you're almost there well you know what's crazy though and even though it's like we're still gonna have to go to court to fight that yeah. even though even though it, it, that is the law um labels aren't so thrilled about just handing back over masters even though that's what so we, we, we would probably actually have to go to court Damn. to get them back and then spend money on a lawyer and, you know, how much a fucking litigator costs. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's insane. So I feel, I feel another crowdfunding campaign we, coming uh, out. Yeah, totally. <laughs> hey, that's, you know what? Uh, you never know. Pledge, pledge campaign for Anthrax to get their masters back. Yeah, yeah. A, law, a law pledge or we create a new Kickstarter type thing that's nothing to, to get you a lawyer. Yeah, uh, hopefully an Anthrax fan who will bill you 65 an hour instead of 395 an hour. Yeah, that's yeah. what I always say. I'm like, where is that, dude? There's got to be... <laughs> totally. There's got to be really great lawyers and accounts out there that, that like 
grew up and listened to Anthrax that would just want to do some pro bono work. <laughs> exactly. There's bound to be a there's bound to be a guy who you know among the living changed his life and he's a lawyer now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, if you need your accounting system streamlined, uh, I do do that for. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, Scott, I, we're, Chuck's kind of waving because he. Oh, uh, we, yeah, yeah, we've, we we gotta totally got to wrap up. And we apologize, but thank you no so much worries. for all your time. But, dude, uh, we did we interviewed Dave Mustaine a few weeks ago. And we was talking yep. about the big four, and we were asking, so is there going to be another big four tour? And he kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit. And then we asked him about uh, uh, what Tom Araya told us about, uh, well, you know, it, he hinted that it was Dave's fault that it's not happening. Personality conflicts. Right. And so so, so I joked with Dave. I said, so is it Scott Ian's fault? And, yeah. he, and he just kind of, like, chuckled a little. So is it your fault? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think, you know, to use, use a really hackneyed expression, I think if, if someone was to do the math, um, you know, and just do a little bit of research, it's not too hard to figure it out, really, um, where, where the, the thorn in the side or the, the fly in the ointment or, you know, the monkey wrench, whatever the fuck that expression is, I don't think it's too hard to figure out why it's not something that's happening more often. Um, and really, that's all I, uh, all I could say about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's Dave uh, Ellison's fault. Uh, yeah, there you go. We'll blame right. it on Dave Ellison. It is. Actually, it is. It, it's the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> right. That, uh, that the big four doesn't happen as often as... Uh, most people would like oh, it to happen. Awesome. <laughs> well, dude, uh, you're about to kick out the speaking words tour this this week. It kicks off on the 20th. We'll look forward to it. Hopefully be able to catch it at some point. And the Pledge Music campaign is up for people to donate to and get a copy of the DVD or maybe even have a dinner or a Vegas party with you if they've got enough cash to do it. So Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Where's the Anthrax fan that wants to wants to come to Vegas with me and like go have drinks with Phil Hellmuth? You, I, can, I can make that shit I'm happen. saving up.
Rattling the Sky, the new song from Junius on the Metal Sucks podcast, that, that DP. Is it, do you is, know what it's called? Oh, damn it. I can't think of the title. Sorry, right, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Thank you. Thank you. It's so good, though. <laughs> It's, it's the new G. I, I, well, no, what on. was it like two or three years ago that you were like, uh, dude, you got to check out this band called Junius. I just saw them at South by. Days of the Fallen Sun. Yeah. EP is the name of it. And, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. And I checked it out. And there was a bunch of early stuff that I really dug. And then some of the later stuff was sort of like, eh, it's okay. This stuff, great. Three songs, awesome. I was not. So good. I was never sold on this band. I sort of liked them. And until I. Went and saw them live. I was like, holy shit. I was floored. I was mm-hmm. completely floored by them, man. And uh, every time they put something out, I'm there to soak it up. And th- that's the heaviest song on this EP. The rest of it's a little more nebulous. And uh, it's to me, it's interesting, and I really like it. But that's that, by far, is the heaviest song that you're going to get on. They it. don't have that shoegazer thing that some of these other bands have got going on. But, but, but... It's definitely more of that. But they, but they haven't. They've owned that since their inception. It's not like they kind of, hey, we're deaf heaven and we have one record that's really awesome and we, yeah, it's it's not something that's that's there. I think it's more organic than that with Junius. I yeah, think that's something that's they just have got really good songs and they got that really interesting sound that like just pervades everything they do, which is that boom, yeah, yeah, boom, boom. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what uh, that is. Uh, it's so great. Uh, it sounds something weird. <laughs> Don't do that again. Oh, my head hurts. Oh, it sucks. Well, we got to wrap this show up, man. We've already gone way too long talking to Scott Ian forever. I could talk to that dude for days. Got to get him back. Uh, uh, yeah. I think, yeah, I think we we were talking about it before we, we got recording. It's like we need to have some of these guests back on because we have so many things that we want to talk to him about. Mm-hmm. And we could do just a completely different interview with Scott Ian that has nothing to do with what we already talked about. And talk for another hour with that dude. Yeah, you were doing hand signals at me the whole time. Like, we gotta wrap it up, gotta wrap it up. And I was like, oh, I don't want to stop. But, but yeah, did, did stop. you notice? <laughs> hey, Scott. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Thanks to Scotty and for yeah, uh, thank you very much, man. Yeah, it's that awesome. Great. And, and uh, whoever child, put us in touch with him and stuff. Childhood, uh, childhood. Chuck is going. Holy shit! <laughs> Old Chuck is awesome. I didn't even get the chance to tell him the story of like driving to a record store. To, for an anthrax in-store signing this is back in the day this is state of euphoria or among the living and i and i had one or the other i think it was state of euphoria on cassette and i go to him and asking him to autograph and he just looked up at me like you're gonna ask me to autograph a cassette cover really really yeah. that that was his look and i was just so embarrassed but you know Hell there was yeah, hardly bro. any space left on it. Come on, bro. The guys that signed. Let's do it, bro. Oh, man. But, but he was the dude. Even then, uh-huh. he was the dude I wanted to have sign that. I that, know, right? That, be more than the singer. I was a Belladonna fan, though. The yeah. Belladonna was my, like, I, yeah. So when I get to interview him uh, on the reunion tour, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that was awesome. And it was the worst interview I've ever done. <laughs> so, you know, remember that time that you just sang that song? Yeah, that was, that was awesome. cool. That was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> suck. Ugh, damn, I suck at this. Uh, if you want to tell us how bad we suck at this, you can follow us on Twitter. At Bearded Ape is my, uh, is my Twitter handle. I'm at, at Godless Speaks. And you can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Make sure you uh, comment and tell us how crappy we are and uh, put five stars on it. That helps. Uh, I don't know what it helps. It hey, helps something. I should say, uh, my, uh, tonight I am getting my body fat checked. 
<laughs> and I will be tweeting that. Oh, thank God! With my measurements and stuff. So you got to follow me on Twitter to with get your, that. Your measurements? Are you gonna Are you gonna get your uh, uh, stuff checked? Because I know you're on a diet. In that now case, too, right? I am going to do some boudoir photos, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna <laughs> send them through your Twitter. And like, hey, baby! All of a sudden, my What's subscriber base is just gone up. That's what I'm saying. But no, aren't you doing a diet Chickety thing Chuck too? And a titty. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> One little bit of that action, don't you? Uh, shut up. Yeah. I'm trying to lose a little weight. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get public about no, it, man. No, no, no. Fuck no. You know why? <laughs> because I'm a fat ass. I don't want to, I don't need to get public about it. Every, what sucks is that you get public about it. And I did that with the last one I did. Uh-huh. I was like, yeah, man, I lost like 60 pounds. Uh-huh. And when you start gaining weight, you really feel shitty about yourself because you're like, oh man, I thought you were losing weight. Fuck. <laughs> But doesn't that keep you motivated to no, try it? No, it doesn't keep me motivated. That's no? not how this works. Oh. It's a downward spiral. As oh. soon as people start insulting you, then you just go, I'm going to eat a fucking box of chocolate. I'm done. I can't take it anymore. Well, I, I like to be held accountable. Uh, yeah, I, I, like, yeah, I want people no, to hold me no, account- I, accountable. I, I, I turn into the sad fat guy. Wow. And All right. At Godless Speaks. <laughs> I'm putting my diet up there, my goals and everything. Yeah. Metalsucks.net. Every Monday, we are the Metal Sucks Podcast. Yeah.